When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bingetown TV. And I guess you could say our coverage of Amazon Prime's The Wheel of Time. So if you did not read the description or the title of the episode that you clicked on, this is going to be the book readers on our podcast. So if you're not familiar with our podcast coverage of Wheel of Time, we basically was uh, Luke and I, and we'll get into introductions and everything, but Luke and I were the book readers who watched alongside Paul and Dave, who were our show onlys. They have no idea what happens in the books. Everything was fresh and new for them. We did episode by episode coverage, and we've kind of been chomping at the bit to have this, I guess you could say, more open discussion about uh, what happens in the books, how we feel about the changes, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a perfect excuse to get our boy Jimmy on the mic to talk more Wheel of Time. We did do this as a book reader's preview episode. So the three of us got together, which was a good time. So now we're back for, I guess, a book reader's review episode. Mm-hmm. I have no notes. I have nothing written down. There's no real structure to this. So we're going to give Jimmy the floor. He can explain kind of where he's at in the books and then his kind of season thoughts because he just finished the finale. If I if I'm not speaking out of turn there, James. So uh, literally just, just finished. Yeah, literally. I would just say, take it away. Uh, whatever you want to talk. And then we'll just pick it back on any combo to another combo, 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 combo. All right, cool. Yeah, we'll have plenty to talk about. So yeah, I was on the preview episode. If you guys didn't get the chance to listen, I am reading the books. I'm going a little slower than I wanted to. I'm doing the audiobooks and I'm doing a lot of Cosmere, One Piece and Wheel of Time at the same time. So That's it's just it's slowing me down. But um, I'm on book seven right now. I think when we were doing the preview, I was still maybe halfway through book six, maybe the beginning of book six. I would have to fact check that. But <laughs> a lot has happened because book six ending is fire. We don't need to get into that because we have plenty of other stuff to talk about. So I do want to reiterate that we are spoiling books one through seven here, mostly one through six, because I'm only a little bit into book seven. But if you are not a book reader, please hit pause, turn this off, do what you got to do, read those books and then come back and listen to this episode. But yeah, this is crazy for me because I couldn't believe that. I wasn't watching week to week. You know, this was one of those things that comes with the podcast where we were covering the fall of the House of Usher, Gen V, all this stuff, doing some stuff on the side. I was away for two weeks. So once it got to a certain point, I was like, you know what? I'm already like four weeks behind. Let me just wait and I'm going to just binge the hell out of it. And I binged all eight in the last two days. Wow. So, (laughs) yeah. viewing experience. Yeah. So it was awesome. I really enjoyed it. It got me wanting to read. 
Like when I was watching the show, it like brought me back into the world. I got really excited. We're talking about the preview. We saw the trailer. We weren't that happy with the end of season one, just like everyone else was. But we were excited to be back. The trailer made us pumped, brought us right back into the Wheel of Time world. Starting episode one, I was in. And I had the luxury of having Luke and Dave and Paul and Kyle saying they're happy with it. So I kind of not necessarily put my beer goggles on or anything, but I started the episodes knowing that at least I have the trust that it's going to be good. You know, I'm going to enjoy it. And I did enjoy it. The quality was majorly better, I would say. I have some stuff I want to talk about about the ending of season two, just like the ending of season one. Yeah. And we'll get into that. And I'm actually really happy that I can be on this episode because, like I said, I just finished the episode, so I couldn't listen to any of your coverage. And I know you guys didn't get a chance to talk about any book stuff because of Paul and Dave. Mm -hmm. So this is going to be not as much just me. I have a feeling we're all going to be talking about this show, comparing it to the books. That's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to say for now, because I just want to get the conversation going. Um, I don't know if Luke or Powell, you want to like throw something out to start it, or if you want me to say something, how do you guys want to do this? So I just want to put it out there that if you are listening to this and you didn't listen to our coverage, like we are not claiming to be like expert level wheel time veterans, Kyle, a little bit closer to that side than me or Jimmy. I've read the series one time. It's been a year and a half since I'm a little bit removed. Um, I'm prefacing what I'm about to say with this information because I didn't have the nostalgic bias when I started watching the show. I pretty much started reading the books and watching the show at the same time. So I didn't go into this being what's called like a book cloak, like when you're like a diehard uh, wheel time book purist. Like I didn't have that bias for me um, when I started watching the show. So I was able to like this show, I think, a little bit easier than Kyle and our friend Bill, who was also a big book reader as well. And by season two, I was already finished the series. So this was all like around the time when I was watching season one. By season two, I'm done the series. I feel like a little bit more into the wheel time community. And with that being said, it also kind of was parallel with the quality of the show increasing. So I felt a little bit better about it. But I was, again, going to be easier to sway than Kyle probably was. And I thought like episodes, I think it was either three or four through seven was the best sprint of Wheel Time episodes. Like I was just so into it. I thought it was like high quality fantasy. Amazon was crushing it. The finale for season two was a little bit weaker, but in comparison to season one, I still think it's like night and day. Even even the book stuff that they broke in season two, the show itself was so freaking good. And another thing I just want to add, and I I always say this, is pretty much anybody I know that has not touched the books but has watched Mm -hmm. the show, I'm pretty sure every single conversation I've had in real life those people love this show without an exception. The only person I know that doesn't like this show is the book cloak I mentioned a little bit ago. So like, it's pretty much like a can't miss if you're willing to watch the show and not let the the books bias you because you just got to be honest with it. Like this is a different beast in the books and they've already made some different changes. Different turning of the wheel, man. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to, they retconned <laughs> a few things. Like they're not going to make it perfect. And if you can view it through that lens, I think you can really enjoy it. Um, all that to say, like, this was a great season. I'm ready to talk a little bit more spoilery. Uh, if you guys want me to just kick it off, uh, I'll bring up probably my favorite thing about all of season two, which was the Forsaken. Mm-hmm. This is like my absolute favorite part of the books. Anytime it was a Forsaken prologue, epilogue, random chapter, I was just on the edge of my seat. And I think they just captured that and ran with it even more to the point where I'm willing to say that I like Land Fear in the show 
already more than her book counterpart. And I was okay with the book counterpart. I had ups and downs, but Natasha O'Keefe was like one of the absolute highlights of the show. And I think she was, she was amazing. And then the epilogue scene of season two with Jimmy, do we say Mogadine or Mogadine? I, I say Mogadine. Okay. I, well, it's I'm, funny we'll how they changed forth, it in the probably. books for audiobooks. And yeah. I mean, again, we talked about this in the preview. For whatever reason, because I'm doing the audiobooks, I cringe at Tarvalon. Yeah. Loyal versus loyal. They say loyal a lot. Those kind of things bother me just because I'm all purely audiobook. Eh, it is what it is. So I'll pass it over to you in a second, but that's the other, like she was only in that final scene and that was one of the hypest scenes of the entire yeah. show, in my opinion. Like the Forsaken are being built the correct way. They add the right tension, the right level of evil and like competency in the one power that it just escalated everything for me. And I think that as we get more of them, it seems like we're going to get eight total rather than the 13 from the books, right? which is fine. Like we, we didn't want to flesh out 13 new characters. And I think having eight, let them breathe, build them up like this. They're the best part of season two for me. And uh, yeah. So what do you think, Jimmy? How did Lanfear do it for you? Tommy Shelby's girl. Oh, we talked about in the preview, Natasha O'Keefe. We had high hopes for her. We said, we didn't know who was going to get cast as Lanfear, especially because when the castings were being announced, there was multiple people cast and we didn't know who the character would be. So we were guessing she was going to be Lanfear. We get the trailer. It's Lanfear. She killed it. She freaking killed it, man. I really loved Lanfear. She did it for me as Celine. She did it for me as Lanfear. I was a little bit worried with the Celine stuff because we talked about this on the preview as well. You know, it's just like Game of Thrones. You know, they're supposed to be a little bit younger. They're supposed to seem younger. Celine's supposed to be like this young girl. And then Lanfear is Lanfear. And we know that she changes her appearances as she needs. But I thought it was amazing. Like, I thought every aspect of Natasha O'Keefe's portrayal was great. There's a couple things that bother me a little bit. Like, I don't know that in my head, Lanfear should have been that scared of Mo Gideon at the end. Um, certain things like that, even though she does say like, you don't want to fight me. She still seemed like she was scared shitless when Mo Gideon had her locked up or trapped. Things like that. And I, and I actually do want to say something because you already said it, Luke. I am not even close to Wheel Time Specialist SME. You know, I haven't even finished. So when I say certain things, it may be how I feel. And the real book readers might just be like, whoa, bro, you're like, you're pretty off here. <laughs> you know, those kind of things might happen. But just I think I'll the, pass it to you in a second, Kyle. I just want to go off one thing he just said there. But the Mogidian thing, I I kind of agreed with you that in the books, I never had like she's a scary like she never gave up the vibe that she was like that threatening. Besides, like her intro scene when she like freezes Egwene and Nynaeve, like where they're sitting and stuff. Every right. every time after that, she seems more of like the like they kind of describe her as like the coward spider. The like wuss. always. Yeah, exactly. And she showed she, up in the show, and I'm like, yo, she's gonna be awesome next year, next season. Yeah, she's the spider. She's hiding at all times. She doesn't want to be the center of attention, and she's going to come get you when it's time, when she knows it's a sure win. Mm -hmm. So that's why, yeah, she kind of did get Lanfear at a time when it was a surprise. That's where I think the, the fear yeah. comes from, is that, like, Lanfear's in the web at that point. Yeah. Versus, like, them just kind of having a conversation type of deal. So that's that was the way I interpreted it, at the very least. Mm -hmm. I'm curious of what you thought about like Lanfear and Rand actually banging. Yeah. Because it's so um, innocent. That shit up, baby. Yeah, wind it up. You know, obviously yeah. it's so different where we meet her in like the portal world and we didn't get any of like the, we got the portal stone as like a very small Easter egg 
in the scene where she's like riding the horse, but we didn't get like the obviously the meeting intro to her and like us hanging out with her is way different. We didn't get like the Chody on call, which we thought we were going to get and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But I loved the change of it being like more mature, their relationship. And it just, oh, it yeah. just makes like the what will happen or what we, I guess, assume will happen like mm-hmm. so much deeper like his connection emotionally to her is so much deeper like way more loose theron right. than it ever was in the books at any point in all 14 of them so i i thought that change was was really really good i agree i thought it was really good i think that especially the scene where she reveals herself maureen stabs her and slits her throat awesome that scene was, but yeah. i mean like obviously i knew it wasn't like killing her she was gonna come back to life from it but um just like knowing that scene where Rand was fully like thinking, I love this woman to she is a forsaken. That's not just going to make his feelings go away. And in certain scenes throughout the season, you can tell that, yes, he knows now that it's land for the forsaken who's been lying to him, but it, he isn't just going to like turn off the feelings that he had. This wasn't something I read today it was something I read yesterday after maybe, um, let's say, I think I finished six. Yeah. I finished six episodes yesterday <laughs> two today. So I was just killing Jesus. it during the Phillies game. I'm just sitting there watching real time with <laughs> well, the I'm Phillies sure. on Much mute. more entertaining. Yeah. So there was something that I read that was kind of interesting where book readers were talking about the difference between Lanfear and Rand's relationship in the show versus the book. And someone was trying to argue that, yes, in real life, we do see them get very, very close. But they were arguing that we didn't realize that maybe the times that they were banging was dreams to Rand and we were watching as like an unreliable narrator kind of thing like he went to bed with her and while he was sleeping they had like dream bang and then he wakes up and thinks it was real because yeah even if that's true I feel like the emotional right no I agree all that matters is that Rand believes that it happened right and like that emotional connection I feel like is like like I said just deeper and the, the implications of them having a stronger yes. emotional connection at this point in the story than they ever did in the books feels like i mean for lack of a better term it feels pretty juicy yeah, yeah. no i wouldn't agree you, wouldn't you say even if they're dream banging like on Rand's side it's probably still land fear physically being there oh yeah and he's still in this dream and whether he wakes up or not he thinks they did it like kyle just said so he yeah. is accepting the fact that they did it, whether it's the dream or the real world. So I really guess it doesn't matter that much at all. I liked it, but they opened the door for this in like episode one of season one when Rand and Egwene bang. Like this was yeah. always going to be an escalated thing and it just fits with the theme and fits with the aging up. So I have not a single complaint about it. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's just, it's just so I was at first like when I read preview that she was going to be like an in master and that's so innkeeper innkeeper (laughs) um and all that stuff and i was like oh man i just don't know about any of that but then you know we get the the cold open to i think it's episode three or four when we get shamiel kind of releasing her from the seal and all that stuff and then we get her conversations with a shamiel and episode whatever it ends up being five or six that was amazing where like she is becomes like rand in the dream and then it's like her and then they mm-hmm, have that whole mm-hmm. conversation about all the other Forsaken. And then in the finale, when she's just like popping around and she goes to Beldoman and she's like, I got more Quendiar for you. I need you to pop into the ocean. And then she's the one that gives the horn to Loyal and Ingtar. So it's like, it just like her moving around in the background beyond like the scenes where Natasha O'Keefe was killing it. I just thought was like, it felt very true to Lanfear. 
even if mm-hmm. all of the story beats aren't exactly the same. You know, Celine as a character is obviously different than Celine, but it felt like when it was time to be Lanfear, she was Lanfear. So let me transition that into Ishmael, the last Forsaken we kind of have to talk about here, because what you just said, Kyle, I think they did a great job paying attention to detail with subtle things like that. And one of the things that blew my mind, which I didn't catch until we did our podcast coverage, was when Ishi like walks into the door and like claps off like the smoke yeah. off oh, his I hands of him. Yeah, no, I'm saying I said you I didn't oh, catch until. it until you talked about it. Ah. Like, they, like that's something that my dad didn't see that. Like Chris didn't right. see it. My friend Chris didn't see that. But I don't care about that point. What I'm trying to say is I think they tried to make the writing cleaner by paying attention to the details, which is exactly like kind of makes sense of what you should be doing. And they, I feel like they weren't doing that as much in season one as they did in season two. Yeah. It was just so funny watching it the episode for the first time. I'm like, why the fuck is he drying his hands off? And then I watched second time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh my God, he just, cause he let all of them out right before that. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of like disjointed storytelling it just like things like that. Like you're saying small things, it felt like they kind of stepped their game up a little bit. Not everything obviously was seamless and perfect, but I thought it was good. I thought Ishamiel was great. Dave Talta is like the number one, the world's foremost Ishamiel fan, which is just really <laughs> funny. I just feel like that's a good thing that, you know, the shadow, the characters that represent the shadow, I feel like were so compelling. Yep. Mm-hmm. Probably wasn't as much in the books just because they're very sporadic. Ishamiel at this point in the books is just pretty much literally insane. He doesn't yeah. really, he's not cognizant. He doesn't have like, insanely like you know it doesn't have like good insights maybe you could say that's probably maybe unfair to his book character but i mean the conversations that he has with lanfear are just insane the conversation he has with matt it's just like he's so lucid and much more like compelling of a character than the book version of him for sure mm-hmm. i liked everything about it I, I, besides i mean the the battle at the end and i don't know if that's what we want to get into now or maybe talk about that stuff a little later that was the only kind of shamiel stuff that felt like damn, it's not like 9, 10 out of 10 type of stuff. wasn't right. like it was 5, 10 out of stuff, but it just wasn't like they were killing it for fucking seven and a half episodes with him. So talk to us about that, Jimmy, like his the actual last scene with Ishii. Yeah, so I thought that in general, the last however many minutes with the big climax of the finale and anyone who's not watching, I put the quotes up. I thought it was pretty <laughs> underwhelming, to be honest, and that's yeah. perfectly natural for a regular viewer to be okay with it just like when i say regular view i mean non-book reader non-book readers were okay with the ending of season one when you know what could be the ending and i know that there's things it's going to be tough to do like put them in the sky and all that kind of stuff like that's mm-hmm. tough so i understand certain parts of the book aren't going to reflect onto the screen well but i just thought it was pretty anticlimactic i wasn't happy with the fact that Egwene could shield him off and then here comes Perrin with his I know it was a we hero talked with a horn it too. shield. The shield was like a weird thing. Yeah, a hero with a horn shield. So maybe that was a little bit more powerful. But like to me, Ishmael, is that how we want to say it? Ishi, I guess yeah, I'll Ishii, just say. Ishi. Yeah, Ishi is the strongest of the Forsaken. So he should have just like snapped his finger and, and just brushed Egwene aside, I would think. And then Nynaeve and, and Elaine kind of just like trot up there to his right and he doesn't do anything. Like, come on. I was just what the hell's going on here? And then Rand just kind of just like walks through it and stabs him in the chest very slowly. I like how obviously the sword melts and he gets the heron mark money, mm-hmm. but otherwise I thought it was pretty underwhelming. And okay, I understand what they're doing with Rand. They're building him up. They're obviously building him up. Okay, that's fine. I get it. Maybe it's how 
they think storytelling needs to be told for screen, but they're kind of nerfing them. I mean, they they majorly sandbagged them at the end of season one. Okay, we know that. That's not even a question. Season two, I feel like, was pretty much similar. I mean, he gets shielded all 15,000 times, and this is where it goes back to me not being any kind of expert, but I don't even know if you're supposed to be able to shield from that far away. That seems pretty broken. That was weird. I I mean, literally, you could just have Aes Sedai just like kind of show up and be like, hey, you're a mile away. Here's here's a certain amount of us, and we're going to shield your ass. Like, I I don't know, whatever. But the the finale stuff is is difficult. Again, I I agree with a lot of the points we even got, which I thought was a little bit of an unfair comment on our finale coverage that me and Luke were like way too negative. And like how we had to get our noses out of the books, it felt like we had been very generous and kind of understanding of a lot of the changes throughout the series. But the finale, it felt like it wasn't even beyond like breaking book canon type of stuff. It felt like, and again, it's easy for me to just critique this. There was a million moving parts. It's a huge fucking, you know, ensemble scene of the whole battle of the city. It just felt like there were so many like baked in conveniences that -hmm. were just like twisting things to make storytelling work. And I feel like yeah. when you get into that and you do it enough, it starts to rub people the wrong way. And that was one of the things too. It just felt like a weird thing that, like, and again, even as a, it's explained in book canon, and maybe I, we're just not remembering. It just felt like it was like, yeah, that's that's a little convenient. Yeah, and even as like a non-book reader, I'm like watching the minutes go down, and then adding the fact that I am a book reader, I know that this is the climax. Like, this is it. Yeah. Like. It just ended. That was what the ending is going to be. And I'm like looking at the episode time and I'm like, this isn't a finale to me. It just didn't <laughs> feel that way. And yeah. and even the Mo Gideon thing, I jumped out of my freaking seat for Mo Gideon. But I don't know. What did Dave and Paul say? Because who was she to them? To me, that seemed like we did they that for a holy shit book reader moment for the season finale. It's like a, you know, a Marvel post credit scene. But at the same time, it's like, slowly stab Ishii in the chest, kills him. To me, they put the dragon up and it literally just makes it seem like he's a fraud. Not even that he did anything. I mean, I understand he was the one who stabbed him in the chest, but it just seems more fraudish to me. And and I don't know. It's tough. I don't know if I'm looking at it from a book reader's perspective or not. And that's the impossibility of it all. I can't pretend I didn't read the books. The the fraudish thing's interesting because... At some level, he has that kind of internal thing too, of like the imposter syndrome of like, yeah, that's true. He doesn't want to be the dragon. The dragon kind of stuff is forced onto him. The prophecy things just become fulfilled. Although, granted, in book three, he takes an unbelievable amount of agency upon himself and goes to Tyr. And we can talk about how technically that ending is combined with the book three ending, like, yeah, type of deal because they're not doing book three stuff they combine them because they said the journeys are the exact same so they didn't want to right. do another season where it's brand kind of on this pilgrimage to another place which is still gonna happen in, in book four the next season but that is what it is um yeah but yeah i agree i think that was a lot of people who weren't enamored with the finale are not enamored with rand's portrayal he has the turok scene i thought was great it's a big change but again mm-hmm. in the books mm-hmm. it did feel weird and Again, we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but we can talk about it more openly. The concept of the Taviran is like one of the greatest, like little, whatever you want to call it, underhand tricks a writer can do of like, 
this is fate, like the world works to make these things convenient and work out. But it always felt a little odd in the book when he battles Turok and he wins because it was like, what the hell? And they really showed no sword training for Rand for the most part in this season. So I thought that change was brilliant and and it looked cool as fuck. And that was like, oh my God, this is what Rand's capable of. And that was kind of right. Because in the books, it's just straight up Blade Master versus quote unquote Blade Master. And they just throw down that way. So, yeah, yeah, the only thing really in in season two is how Lan, who he has obviously big changes too, but Lan notices that Rand uses one of his, um, what's it called? Not dances. Is it dance? Sword forms. Yeah. And he like seems impressed. But otherwise, there's no like training or anything. We obviously talked about the fact we don't get that training scene with Lan and Rand after book one. Mm -hmm. We get Errol. Errol was obviously a complete new character and part of Rand's journey that they put right. in to kind of explain some of this stuff. Rand and Loghain, all that stuff was different. So Rand's story is quite different, even though maybe it gets to the same place. I didn't necessarily not like it overall. It's just, there was just obviously a lot of changes. So I guess I'm curious kind of what your thoughts are, even going back now to earlier episodes of like Errol and then him and Loghain, because that obviously is all new stuff. I guess now that you talk about Errol, that kind of makes sense as like a behind the scenes, um, something that we don't see that he's been visiting him and he says to him, like, maybe you'll show me. And every time he sees him, it's a new day, you know, so he does see him every single day. And it seems like certain days, maybe he was being trained by a blade master. Um, that's, that's cool. I I do like that. Honestly, like I said, I understand that it's not always going to have to be exactly like the books. You're going to have to make changes and it's tough with Rand because a lot of Rand's character development is in his own head. You know, he's talking to himself and you can't really do that. I do like how they portrayed certain times where he's hearing voices and we're hearing him hear voices. I'm very interested to see how that develops. I don't know if this is me being um i don't want to say like stupid but me being like not learned <laughs> in wheel of time but when oh, he has his too. talks with Logain and Logain says i i spoke with Luz theron as well is that supposed to be like Logain just saying he did even though he didn't cuz isn't the whole point is only rand talks to yeah that's like go back to um goes back to his intro when you see him seeing the visualizing the madness of like the people talking in his ears and he thinks right, that right. they're the dragons from the previous turn right. so yeah he Logan's definitely just mad. Yeah, yeah he so he's just it. bullshitting and he just thinks, yeah. okay, and that's fine. That That's 100% fine. I just want to make sure I wasn't missing something there. But um, I thought Logan's character, we talked about this too. We texted about it a little bit. His actor is amazing. Give him some more screen time. I mean, I thought everything that they did with him was great. I mean, I texted you guys during the preview for the trailer saying, is he going to kind of be like Mazram Taim? But now it's more like he's being... He's they like, named out Taim. Did you catch that? They did. They did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave was hype about that. Dave was like, oh, my God, another dragon. Give them to me. <laughs> <laughs> Give them to me, man. This is good. I wonder how fast they'll bring him in, but or if they even will. I mean, I again, they gave us I'm not far enough, but I know that he has plenty to do since I've been reading. So Logan might be not necessarily Tyeen, but maybe he'll be Asmodian because maybe they leave him out. I meant to say this when Luke was discussing like there's eight forsaken i i want to say that rafe did like a q a post thing i think sarah nakamura and apologies mm-hmm. if i'm mispronouncing that did it as well and i feel like they hinted that there's going to be even more than eight and i so, mean like they had they had a, a an idol in season one that was like uh, an idol with a guitar or like a lyre or lyre 
Um, oh, okay, so which would I obviously think, be Asmodian. I think he's going to be in it. I guess we'll see, though. So let's yeah. play the game of if we were to hypothetically guess the eight seals, oh. it would have to obviously be like including Ishii and Lanfear and then Mogadine. Yeah. Three confirmed. Grendel's been name dropped and Samuel's been name dropped. I think those are yeah. the only five whose names we have, leaving three more. And I feel like uh, Robin. 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 Yeah, he's got it. He's got it. He's going to be one. Yeah, you can't, um, that you was can't good, leave that that was, that was a good little. Thanks, man. Who would the other two be? Like Asmodian, and then it's, like it's probably not going to be Masana. I feel like Masana's the, be... who I'm just meeting now. Yeah, so I think that Masana's not going to be. I hope. I hope we get Agonor. And no, I don't I even know who that is. It's got to right? be what's his name? Um, Demondred, right? No? Oh, fantastic point. Yes. Yeah, it's got to be him. Yeah. So that gets um, us to eight, though, right? That gets us to eight if we include Asmodian. Yeah, and then I guess we'll Which, see. Which I think Asmodian is the I, most like like I like his book piece, yeah, but like too. I also yeah. feel like he's the easiest one to just not write in. Yeah, you just, weird you just make Logan his part. Yeah, exactly. He fits it perfectly, but I don't know. Except it's just for the fact where... that Logan can't practically show him anything because he can't wield yeah, the power. Right. So yeah. although he could see um, him, he could see him channel. So yeah, that's Which definitely something they changed. changed. Yep. Yeah, but so, hey, maybe they change it because it makes it easier for him to take in that role of, of being a little bit more of like a mentor teacher. Cause if he couldn't see the weaves at all, I could he even teach him. I, I, I would venture to say no, although obviously yeah. they can make it whatever they want. Um, True. you guys just covered a bunch of the things that I'm happy. We just got it out of the way. Cause I feel like the majority yeah. of my negativity is already right covered. No, that was really good. But the yeah. one thing I'll harp on just for one more second that I, one of the coolest things I thought just like random facts about wheel time, the books is that dragons aren't a thing. Which I hate it that Moraine did a physical dragon because the whole thing was every time he found the flag and they're like they're like describing the lizard because they don't know what a dragon is. So I didn't yeah. like that they made that change. Uh, but you did already bring it up. Like, and I also me, Kyle, Paul, and Dave talked about it. It felt more like a forced prophecy thing rather than in the books. It just organically happens and they pop up in the sky. I wish it was, was more some... something where it wasn't like Moraine's like, oh, I got to do this. Like, I don't, I don't like how they fulfilled that piece of the prophecy. There were some interesting comments in the YouTube. Jesus, that sounded like an 80-year-old man saying that. There were some interesting YouTube comments <laughs> on the video. How about that? Um, about whether that like really matters or not. I think it's interesting too, because Rand, I mean, Rand reads the prophecies and like physically goes out himself to do them. You know, he like he literally goes to Tier because it's like I have to go to Tier type of thing. So I don't know if the forced prophecy thing is something for me that I care so much about. And again, I feel like a wet blanket saying it because I guess maybe objectively the CGI dragon looked cool. It just felt like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it it's just like uh, felt like a, like this feels like the CW. It's and tough. CW, it's really tough. I you know we love the CW, but. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's just really tough to reflect that ending onto the screen. It just is. And I get it. But yeah. I don't want to keep talking about the ending because I just like <laughs> I don't want to be Debbie Downer. One yeah. more question though to you guys. When Moraine attacks the ships, is she technically allowed to do that because she's protecting Rand or the city or whatever? Yeah, it's I mean, I feel like the O's themselves, like Varen says in episode two, there's a tons of loopholes. If you could easily convince me that Moraine is convinced that there's dark friends on the ship. Because yeah. they're working yeah. with the Forsaken to shield Rand. I feel like that's, for me, an easy level explanation. That It'd be partially right. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm not gonna, I mean, there is. A dark, yeah. thing, think about that scene that was I thought was annoying and weird. I mean, Paul talked about it again with the convenience thing of like, where's this, you know, 12 man sortie of the Sean Chan coming from a mile out of the city? Like, why are they there? But again, I, we're not here to talk about that kind of stuff, though. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Right now, let's let's do another book thing here. Um, I guess I'll turn it to Jimmy about what you really thought about both Avienda and then the Aiel in this scene in this season. I thought they were great. I thought they were added in very well. I mean, I loved the "Do You Dance" Perrine Bar line. Yeah. My gosh, <laughs> did it for me. Um, I thought it was cool how she was in the cage, and it's it's just like a reflection of how it was Gaul in the books, and um, you know, Perrine breaks her out and. She has toe to him. I love the fight scenes. I love her kicking ass. I thought they did the, the Aiel so well, and they did very well with introducing them to people that aren't book readers. Mm-hmm. We got hand talk. We got explanations of what Gia Toe is. I mean, they did pretty damn good. And I always, it, it sucks to say, like, I have the knowledge, so it seemed good to yeah. me, but I think it was good. Like, I think yeah. it was good, and I would like to talk to our friend of the pod justin he loves season one never read any of the books he's just like you were saying luke anyone who's not read the books loves season one i don't know if he's watched yet he's been watching fall of the house of usher and and he's jumping on gen v so i know wheel of time's on his list and he's pumped for it but i need to ask him because i thought they did it well like i really do Mm -hmm. think they did it well and i and they had to do it well because they're going to be huge in the next season obviously i want to link this too because this is a conversation I've been fucking dying to have. I don't even think me and Kyle have had this like off podcast and stuff like Avienda. I thought was great. And I think the fact that she flashed like a ceiling of being able to fight like that is just good for future seasons. Cause they can whip that out whenever they want. And the IO look amazing. Uh, just like and costume wise. Yeah. Go ahead. And also great that they added a line saying like, I don't know word for word, but the, it took 20 men to get her down and, and 20 men to get her in the cage. All that kind mm-hmm. of stuff is, Money, you need to have that in there because yeah. they do not lose fights when she veiled right after getting out of the cage when the children were coming. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, and she's going to be okay. So I put her as like success. Elaine, yeah. success. And we, we will yeah. expand on that. Elaine, like I fell in love with by the end. And I think Min has been not great for me. And I'm going to basically turn it to, are we doing this triangle thing? Are we sandbagging Min? Because I feel like I feel like for sure, obviously, Elaine's going to be a thing because of the ending of like her yeah. him seeing her oh, like yeah. an angel. Avienda feels like she'll also for sure be in there. But Min feels like there's no way like they haven't even met yet. Have this they? Is, or they met. They met. They did yeah. meet for like a second, but it was she even in season one. It wasn't like a. It wasn't like an Elaine meeting. That's what I'll say. Like, I don't know. They might just drop men from the three-way storyline. So I just think, again, it's very confusing. And we worried about this. And hey, it's another turning of the wheel. It might be a totally different story in certain ways, and we might just have to enjoy the ride. But we were worried about this during the ending of, uh, ending of season one into the trailer for season two, wondering what was going to happen, how we know that 
Rand hadn't met Elaine yet. What's going to happen with Egwene and Rand's love for each other? That doesn't seem to have waned yet at all. I mean, they're both the entire season being like, I freaking love you, man. I love you. I can't believe you're Which dead. Is- and great for the rooks because they are going to be fucking mind blown when it, when Dave, it doesn't if, work out yeah Dave and I hope is still on team like maybe he thinks elaine is like a slight detour into the ending being still rand and Egwene. of course how could you not and, like yeah no i mean they are spoon yeah, I mean, feeding it to you there's no way to know is going to be you know the three of them well what i mean i haven't finished the book series i don't know i don't know anything past book seven but gowan the youngling and Egwene, they love each other out of nowhere, not out of nowhere. They're they're having the dream sequences and this and that, and they meet and blah blah blah. So, mm-hmm. but I don't know how important any of that is yet. Is there a chance that they just decide Egwene's going to be put into Min's spot no. for the trio? I guess technically yes, but that feels like a a hard no for me. Yeah, Ugh. too much. The pushback they would get would be troubling. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. Would be, I agree. That that is a no from me, dog. I'm just that is a no for me, dog, for men in the show right now, because like, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I I don't mean to cut you off. I'm too excited. I just finished. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have anything to add. I was just my question is, do you think that they think that three chicks as the love square, love triangle will translate to the screen? Okay, to to casual viewers. Does that sell? Exactly. Now, again, I don't know how it ends with the three of them. I, I just know that. I'm yeah, in the perfect spot right now because, here. yeah, I'm in the perfect spot right now where they all have just like revealed themselves to each other in the books. So, yeah. oh, great scene. Yeah, Monty. <laughs> Aviana just walks up to Elaine and she's like, she gets down on her knees. I banged Rand, man. You, you, you want to beat me? <laughs> if you need to beat me, just beat me. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so this isn't something I'm learned enough to talk about, but I do wonder if it's not or if they don't think that it'll translate well to TV screens for casual viewers, unless it, yeah, yeah, that's all I can say. Cause I don't know if they, yeah. if they, who he ends up with, I don't know anything about it. So yeah. I think that there's room for, for men based off of kind of how it goes in the books, but we'll just have to see, obviously, like Luke said, there was absolutely negative groundwork laid this season for it. So Great <laughs> way to say where, yeah, that'll just have where to be is she right happens, now? I guess. She's right in now, Kyrian, right? Kyrian, right? So she's not even yeah. going to be there to nurse him back to health. Oh, that's so, not like, that's Yeah. That's no. their and big And that was a big scene. moment. That was a big moment. That's their yeah. big moment until literally almost now for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, again, they literally laid negative groundwork. So, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it's maybe it's on purpose. Who so maybe they give it to Matt. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Who knows that, what he's yeah. going to do? But back to the kind of like Avienda Ayo thing, just one thing to say is I was nervous. About like this was leaked fairly early that she was going to take Gaul's spot. I love Gaul just because parents, my favorite character, and mm-hmm. Gaul's like an OG rider, an OG homie. So that weird me. I thought it looked and it came off very, very well. And like you would almost, you know, you could never guess, but I still am holding out hope for Gaul as a character just because Gaul's a fucking beast. Mm-hmm. And she name dropped so, him. So yeah. And then we get, we get the stone dogs like in. Oh, yeah, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah. The Dead Eye in season one has the stone dog thing, which people were like, oh, that's so heavy handed. But honestly, I thought it was fine because it was like, okay, we'll at least get that warrior clan and then Gaul hopefully will be a part of them. I just, the book three plus book two 
like being smashed together for this. I feel like it didn't come off as well. It's so tough because the ending of like we don't get nothing about Calendor. Yeah. As well. And that feels so, like like book three. That was book three. Well, I'm seeing that Calendor is gonna be in the waste next season, which honestly is fine. If they can make it work where they're gonna do like the whole next season, I feel like at least the first like four or five four or five episodes of it are going to take place in the waste we're going to do all of that stuff and that's going to be incredible and it's, it's probably so going to end though. with calendar yeah it is well, the end of book three the stone when the ideal come and take it down is great the beginning of book four when they're all there and it's the little yeah. soap operas and like the the bubbles of evil and the card game all that stuff is fucking great it's sad that well that forsaken that. definitely got cut uh Bilal, is that his name yeah yeah he's gone there's no way fair but, but fuck him yeah, <laughs> but it's um, just I don't know that 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 hurts my heart. I think I think that's what's like the number one thing I was sad about when they said they were combining the books two and three storylines. Then we got to the end of this season and there was like mm-hmm. absolutely because I was always the wonder. People were like, is is like Falm going to be the mid season climax and then Tear is like the the finale finale or like how's it going to work? And it just like we just completely tossed aside the Stone of Tear so far. I guess we'll yeah, see right. what happens. But I mean. Like Jimmy, you obviously up to book seven haven't really been back to the Stone of Tear. So no, like, he's we, just like, right now asking Perrin to go back. Yeah, like when are we gonna we're gonna get it, you know, season six, season <laughs> four, five, you know, type of deal. And that just personally I think is is sad. If it's a necessary cut, that that just to me it sucks. Let me ask you guys this question. This is totally out of nowhere because you made me think of Perrin and I saw online that there was rumors and theories that Perrin's wife was a dark friend. Mm-hmm. And that's why Elias says she wasn't part of your pack, whether he's saying that figuratively or symbolically or whatever. Um, did anybody on the pod, meaning, I guess you guys could guess too, but did anybody guess that Moraine's nephew was going to be a dark friend? No. Yeah. No, we actually had a conversation about her sister being one, that being like mm-hmm. a change. Because when I went on Dragon right. Mount, um, Tom from Dragon Mount, he said that he that was like one of his guesses was going to be that that would be a change they would make mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Barthanis like she just was having a much bigger impact on the story so it felt like it was going to hit harder if it was her. I thought they did it really well. Yeah, little moment, but I agree. it was a great twist. Yeah, obviously it's it's different because it's like the whole party, and I love the party because the Tom aspect of the party. But obviously, yeah. Tom, they had a. Yeah, come off until I know. Shout out to the boss. That's another conversation season. to be had. Yeah, like and so, like that had to change. I thought, I thought, like the overall gist that you get out of Barthanis, I thought was good because I mean, he, again, he's just this reinforcement of the idea that like anyone can be a dark friend, and I feel like that's definitely still worked. I thought mm-hmm. that it was cool that they used Celine slash Lanfear to start teaching Rand Deistemar. Mm-hmm. I just miss Tom, and I miss our yeah. boy. It's a shame, and he's just this version of Tom's so cool. And I know that we already saw that he posted a thing with Tom next to him, and he's going to be back, and it's great to hear, and he's going to kill it. And I guess the way this season went, it was like a lot. And we already talked about Kyle. You were saying was Fama going to be mid season and then tier end of season? That probably would have been so condensed and oh, ridiculous yeah. that like people were already mad about eight eight episodes for the great hunt. And we were already kind of actually combining two and three. But 
maybe they just thought that Tom was just another character that they didn't need to have in right now until he's yeah. it's just, more important. But it's just a guy. It's a crime that they get eight yeah. episodes. I we talked about it on. It might have been the book preview, or it might have been at, maybe it's just at some point talking during this season of like looking at the actual math of how many pages they have right, to put in yes. per episode, and it's something like four hundred, and while Game of Thrones is like fifty, so it's like yeah, that's and you know an absolute Herculean, gargantuan, impossible task to have to pick out what's like important, what has to not be there. So I that statistic is something I try to think about often when I try to criticize because again it's yeah. it's a very difficult task. It's just obviously is that have, Amazon's have an emotional connection to like a lot of things that happen in the show or in the books that yeah. can't make it to the show. Yeah, true. Is that just Amazon Studios literally just trying to be different? Like every Amazon I, Studios show is eight episodes and it can't be budget. It definitely I can't had, be budget. I swear if I had to guess it's got to be something like with the analytics of like watch time completion like the odds that they get like a higher completion rate when there's eight episodes i'm sure is higher when there's 10 right episodes, then 10 episodes 12 episodes whatever that's I, not, sure not a consideration it. of make, the story yeah yeah make me a Joke. damn good show and you're gonna get a full completion rate for 10 apps come on um do you yeah, know yeah, yeah now daniel, i feel you there jimmy do you know who daniel green is he's like a fantasy youtuber guy i know you do kyle right um, uh yeah i think i've seen some of his stuff yep so he kind of got me into the Cosmere and we like partially was like a resource for wheel time. Once I got into that too, big fantasy guy. Um, but he was going as far to say like, he actually really enjoyed this season compared to season one. He's, he's a book cloak. You could say it's his favorite series of all time. He's got like tattoos and shit. Um, but oh, cool. he was like pl- really happy with season two, I, I would say compared to one. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me was he said that like season one was like a, like a five, six, five or six out of 10. Right. And then this season got up to like a seven, eight at times, mostly like a seven. And he's saying mm-hmm. that the eight episode structure going forward is basically going to put a ceiling on this show because of what gets sacrificed in world building, just letting, letting storylines breathe and develop, letting more characters get screen time. Cause we're going to, the cast is only going to get bigger and it's going to get way harder and page count per episode is going to get bigger. Like it's, it's passable now but it's going to get significantly and exponentially worse going forward. So like if they don't make a change as early as season three or season four of like adding to 10 or 12 episodes, he's making the argument that this show is always going to be capped and never going to be able to get to the game of Thrones level of fantasy TV shows. And like, as he was talking about, I was kind of agreeing with him and we're bringing up points now. Like you need more episodes like game of Thrones got fucked in season seven and eight because HBO is smart. They were like, yo, do 12 seasons. We'll pay you for life. And they ruined my life. But anyway, like (laughs) that's what you got to do, man. You got to let, you got to let it like breathe and happen. I don't know. Like this is like such an ambitious thing to do this in eight episodes every time, let alone the fact that they released three at the beginning of seasons too. It just feels like an insane idea to like dump, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into this 14 book series and from the get go be it's going to be 64 episodes and we're not going to change it. Like it's eight episodes, eight seasons and figure it out just feels like the wrong way to go about it. But again, for what sure. do I know? I don't I'm not responsible for hundreds of millions of dollars of a studio's <laughs> money. I didn't know they confirmed it's eight seasons. Yeah, that's I mean, at least like the plan, like I okay, they wanted more. I think they had right. like, even for season one, they had like a 10 episode plan. And then they I think they were optimistically working with 10, like we're going to make 10. And then like 
we'll probably be able to get it to eight if like we keep asking and they say no eventually they mm-hmm. were, like put their foot down it's going to be eight so they had to change a bunch of stuff it's just Damn. Up. it's just the wrong think way. about that we got 11 books to go in the next six seasons and <laughs> the last battle itself could be a season yeah that's going to be relegated to two episodes maybe like at the pace we're going, we pretty much need to do two books a season, which is crazy. It's it's fine for the slog, but like once you hit the Sanderson books, like the three ends where everything comes together, they all at least deserve yeah. a season by themselves, let alone the they last that, one being more. But Yeah, they said next season is going to be pretty much all book four, which is a good sign. I think that is mm-hmm. music to my ears. That's my favorite book. Cliche answer, but... And they said it's going to be a big Rand and Perrin season, which makes a lot of sense, knowing obviously what happens with, you know, going into the waste, the things, the two rivers. So I'm excited for that for sure. We didn't haven't really talked about Perrin a ton. Huge improvement, I thought. Season mm-hmm. two Perrin to season one Perrin, just so much better. The the wolf dreams. I'm curious to what you think of how they visualized like them sending the messages I thought was good, but like him doing the sniffer part where he could like see the past. I'm curious. See the past. Yeah. Yeah. Just because it was it was just different. Obviously, Huron is not a character. Elias takes his Yeah, place. he was obviously replaced by Elias. And I was talking about in the preview, and I think I was on something in season one. I said, I love Elias. And yeah. I haven't met him again, but I love him for what I know of him so far. So I'm glad that they gave him something for this season. I thought he fit in perfectly. I thought that it's a shame that they had to replace somebody to put him in, but yeah. I'm glad I that mean, he was in the season. Yeah. You're in a little, like that's like a little stash in the back pocket. Always want to keep him safe character, but like realistically he could get cut for the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, and no, nope, the go Elias ahead. thing though, I just want to say I'm a little sad because it seems to be like he was only really enjoyed by book readers compared to the average person. Oh, like, really? Yeah, not not like that he was split. it's not like, that he was I guess if you're down on, but it's more just like he was sort of forgettable. I guess if you're a casual watcher too, and I'm going to definitely go back and listen to the pods and you guys can quickly enlighten me if you want cuz I don't want to make anything listening more than once and hearing things more than once for the listeners, but I'm curious how the casual viewers, the non-book readers thought of Elias when it comes to the fact that Ishi goes to Perrin and says, the more wolf you become, the closer you are to me. And then Elias kind of gave him like an ultimatum in a weird way where he's like, they're not your pack. We're your pack. And it almost made it seem like he was like a dark friend almost like in in Perrin's head. He's and I know that in the books, he's totally like, I don't want to be this, like, get this away from me until he obviously embraces it. But I thought it came off as almost like Elias and the way that Ishii talks about is like, they're saying come closer to the wolf side of things. And that's the dark friend side of things and parents fighting it. So maybe casual viewers thought it like, Whoa, that's trying to take our boy away from the homies. That's an interesting perspective. Now that you say that, I would say me and Luke's influence slash presence probably took that thought out of Paul and Dave completely just because we were like very effusive of our praise for Elias as a character. Because again, that makes a ton of sense because that's like not even Leandrin's storyline is that Min yeah. and Matt kind of is that storyline and the whole kind of concept of like push them all towards the dark type of thing. So I, I could see why people would think that. I think we definitely, for sure, our presence and, and influence definitely impacted oh yeah. that for sure. A couple okay, of times cool. we ruined things by just being alive in that podcast. Like, <laughs> it's, it's tough. So I mean, it's tough. Excited. There's nothing yeah. you can do, especially when you're so passionate about something. 
we've tried it for different things. We do rooks and vets plenty. We haven't done it in a while, but you know, I did haunting of Hill house as a vet for you, Luke. Mm-hmm. I love haunting of Hill house, but I don't love haunting of Hill house as much as you guys love wheel of time and have all this knowledge in your head. And you're watching a show where you have the future. Like, you know, what's going on and you're like oozing passion and you want to say something and maybe you accidentally do or you skew them a certain way like there's nothing you can do it's hard to be non-biased if you know exactly and they're passionate they, about something they name we drop cad swain and they name drop taim like i'm losing my fucking shit like i don't care at that yeah, point you have to say it yeah. not, it's not a rooks and vets thing it's like i'm reacting like this is lit like i'm watching this live action of something i've read 14 books in so like you're gonna react a little bit but honestly for the most part we we tried to non not bias Stay professional. for anything. Yeah, 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 for sure. We did. Like one thing we didn't even bring up on the podcast was, and we can talk about this in more detail. Like the horn of Valir gets blown, and you see some of the heroes. Like we knew the names of them; they didn't get name dropped. We just kind of brushed over it because what were we were gonna say, even though like Brigitte was right there and she yeah, has the yeah. bow pool. And I was like, oh, I want to fucking. Yeah, I wish. Baby, let's I want to talk yeah. about it. And Put then, her more front and center for me, please. Hawkins yeah, right, right there too. Yeah, I would, it was just it was really funny watching them make theories that, that were correct and then convince themselves that it was wrong and stuff. <laughs> I, the, the amount of fucking grace and leeway they gave Leandrin was hilarious. All they the time. refused to commit to the idea that she was just like a full blown dark friend. They played her off differently, they, man. It got like, to a point where they were like, she's a double double agent, basically, <laughs> <laughs> which was really funny. But that's she's superior on the. I thought she was yeah. better in the show than the books, too. Yeah, I'm curious what you think about that, too. She's obviously again probably a leading question but she's a much more fleshed out character in the show yeah with all right. of the changes so i personally enjoyed it luke and i enjoyed it we were nothing but you know full of praise for her throughout the whole season she carried her the first half, phenomenal honestly yeah i thought she did a great job i really enjoyed her scenes and she <laughs> it's funny like i know who she is but she even had me like it, it's good writing it's good acting <laughs> if if I'm she watching good? this and I know the answer, but I'm going like, this is this is different. Yeah. So yeah, I thought her, her and Nynaeve's relationship, I thought was very interesting. Yeah. In a good way. I mean, she sees the raw power it. and she's entranced by it. And I thought the whole son thing was interesting. Mm-hmm. Having her go to her son and crying about her son. And I don't know if I needed that just because I understand it's her son. But like in my head, reds are like, so anti-men that they don't even like have significant others ever in their lives. It just adds. So I would have, and especially Leandrin. What'd you say, mm-hmm. Kyle? I think it just adds another dimension to her. It makes her more yeah. like, oh, that she's not what just she seems on the surface. It gives her a motivation to be in the dark beyond just being like, you know, I'm just like a caricature of an evil person type of deal. So yeah, and I do also like they did it twice this season. How it shows how the Aes Sedai, they age slower, they live longer, and they have to deal with their loved ones dying off. I thought that was really good, seeing it for Moraine and then seeing it for Leandrin as well. I thought that was another good aspect, another dimension that I don't think they talk about that too much in the books. Like, I know that, like, I know that they age slower, but I haven't seen anything there's, at least there's, that I remember. Later. Ageless. That, that gets also, like, brought up they later. Talk about agelessness too. so much, so much, so much, so much. No, I, so I mean, much. yeah, no, no. I mean, like having someone that you love grow old mm-hmm. while you're still younger and you watch them die. Like, I don't think I remember that being brought up. There's plot the points. A little, there's like subtle background plot points a little bit later. Yeah. You'll get into that. That's right. Rather not go down that route. But I want to bring yeah. up something. I, I don't want to bias Jimmy by just like how I'm going to phrase this, but like the Horn of Valir <laughs> moment. I try not to, yeah. I, I, the what is it? 
the Horn of Valir moment. And then oh yeah, everything to do with just like I, I kind of brought it up with the heroes already, but like everything to do with just Matt, I guess. Let's kind of shift the conversation there because I want to make sure that he gets and then also talk about like what do you thought about his initial impression of the new actor because we haven't really talked about him at all today. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting choice to have the first scene you see with Matt where he's like curled up in a ball, like crying when Leandrin's talking to him. Mm-hmm. I was a little worried, to be honest. And then the next scene, he's mad. And I was like, okay, yeah. cool. I like this. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a little worried to start. And then he was mad. And I was like, okay, we're good here. I think the actor did great. Like, I, I thought Matt was great. My heart jumped and leaped when I saw him with his spear and he's freaking spinning that thing. And whether it has the dagger at the end of it or not, Godiver style or Godiver. Is, it, is that, is that it? Godiver? MacGyver, MacGyver, <laughs> MacGyver, MacGyver style, MacGyver style, whatever. Um, but seeing him spin and be a badass with that staff was doing it for me. Horn of Valir moment was kind of underwhelming again to me, just like the entire climax, just because what are you going to do? Like in my head, it's literally like this big extravagant yeah. army that just comes out of the light and they just like, whoosh, again, it, every Hawk a lot of things like a conversation just, with them, you know, horn sounder, you know, banner, wherever he calls Perrin and like the dragon and stuff like that's great in the books. It's epic, like charge down the hill and mm-hmm. it was yeah. just never going to happen like that. I still I enjoyed it for what it was, to be honest. I know it wasn't as good as the books, but I thought like the slow motion, I felt my chills and my hair stand up. And then it meant more to me too, because of the heroes, like knowing more, like having the book knowledge made that moment a little cool. Um, the old tongue. The, the, awesome. Yeah. That's what I was going to bring up. The old yeah. tongue and him saying, I remember, are we on team? He has all of his memories now. Did that drink give him his memories? He was being hung in the mirrors. He doesn't have the marks on his neck. He didn't really get it. Uh, okay. Is that going to be his staff? Is that, this, this is my, no. dude, I, I hope, hope not. not. <laughs> yeah. I really hope. I just not. need to say that, the whole dagger thing is crazy. Okay, this is a Shadow Loga dagger. Mm-hmm. Dark, dark. We we talked about it like almost too much on the okay, finale. okay. <laughs> dark personified, evil personified, and he's wielding that thing like he's living the dream, man. I whatever. If you guys already talked about it, we don't need to talk about so, it too much. I hope it's Jimmy, not I'll, staff. I'll, but... I'll mention it now. Um, Rafe did a Q and A on Twitter right before episode seven or eight came out. And one of the things that somebody asked him was, what was the deal with Loyal, Ingtar, Masim, like all of them like surviving the dagger and stuff. He basically just came out and said, yeah, that was just a mistake. That was a COVID mistake. Like rather than like trying to play it off, like it makes sense in the rules of the world. He's just like, that is just something we kind of have to live with that we fucked up. So I oh, prefer okay. that. Than just saying like loyal recovered, but now if it touches you, you have a fucking molten hole in you. Like none of that connects. So I think we just kind of have to drop anything we know about the dagger from season one. And just I'm happier thinking like that because at least they're willing to admit the mistakes and move on. I agree with you on that. I'm glad that they are admitting their mistakes, but I think they're adding salt to the wound, making the dagger be Rand's big wound. He stabs Rand with the dagger. Yep. gives him his legendary wound that never heals. But we admit that this mistake where there was other characters stabbed by it in season yeah. one, it's yeah. tough. It's really and tough. That we're getting like insta kills. Yeah. With the dagger earlier in the episode. Like he, the tough. first guard that he killed, at least I, oh, yeah. I saw it wrong. He has like black no, no. Like he, coming out of his mouth and like his eyes. 
Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And it's just like, okay. That's closer I, to what there, I expected, but it just yeah, didn't make sense with season one. On the, on the finale coverage about like it working under like the idea of like intent. Mm. Sure. But I don't like, I, if that's the explanation, so, I don't like that explanation. Like I don't mm. like the fact that he just has this ultra evil dagger that only works whether he like with his intention to have it work. Well, I'm sure that there was a lot of intent on who who was being stabbed in season one too. So, yeah, I don't also know. true. Yeah, yeah, we'll move past that. But I Matt as the character, like when I see Matt on the screen, I think that's Matt. You know, like, yeah, so that's a step up for sure from season one and season two. Like book two, Matt is sick. Matt wandering around complaining type of Matt. Book three isn't like incredibly better. Obviously, he gets better midway through, and he's great in book three of like he's the gambler and he's with Tom and they're on the riverboats yeah. and all that. Got that luck, awesome. baby. And we didn't get any of that, unfortunately. Hopefully, we can get some of that in the next season. But that was just my biggest point. I think with again with that idea that like they smashed these two books together and that forced a lot of things to get cut, and it feels like the Matt stuff is kind of cut I, with a gambler. Just, I feel like it has to keep coming back. It's not like it's not there completely, but I feel like yeah. I'm noticing it because I read the books versus like they're actually showing us it well. Mm-hmm. So correct me if I'm wrong. He gains his luck the same time he gains the staff and his memories and the old tongue and all that. Right. He has like the procedure to free him officially from the dagger. That gives him the luck. And then as he's healing, he starts to have the memories. Then when he's like still kind of bedridden, he has the quarterstaff fight. And then he goes out in the town. Okay, has, like, right, right. The luck moments where he also gets hunted by the Gray Men, which Gray Men they didn't do in this season, but maybe right. Next I can't tell what they meant by the I remember. Yeah, I just thought that was confusing in general. Ishi gives him the drink. He's looking in the mirror. I can see this just being a scene to give Matt some character development, except for the fact that he hung in the mirror. Is that supposed to just be another turn of the wheel? Is that supposed Dude, to be him seeing the future? He doesn't have his whole throw his whole character out if they replace if they replace yeah. the eel fin and the elfin with that. They need to do that, I think, next season. Yeah, it, yeah. It, I think it works perfectly because they're going the I feel like, it's like that's going to yeah. be his thing. I think it's hopefully put that more. hat on him, man. Yeah, my generous, please. My generous and the scarf. My generous interpretation yeah. is that like they're just laying the groundwork so that it doesn't like completely come out of left field type of deal. Because theoretically, right. in the books, unless I was misreading or mishearing things, like he does just kind of start getting the memories. So like, yeah, maybe you know, groundwork being laid so that it it hits a little bit better potentially on the screen. Because again, they're cutting a ton of other things. That's a good point, though. I'm in with that. Like when we have it in the books, my interpretation is that he just has the memories of millions of past, past lives. lives, not his past lives, but past lives. Maybe in the show, they'll make it that it was his past lives. And when they say, I remember, it's that he used to be a fierce warrior. So I guess I always interpreted it that it was his past lives. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's Me the way too. I always took it. Oh, see, That's okay. One of, like, I always my took it like things in all of the books. So either way, it's if, as long as they nail it. Yeah, and the other, last thing I want to say is that he was losing to Min when he was playing dice with her in the bar. Right? He kept losing yeah. to her. She mm-hmm. took all of his money, mm-hmm. and yeah, and he was losing in season one. Yeah, and he's healed from the dagger. Right? Or are we going to play that game again 
I guess not. I guess he's not technically healed because he was doing that whole thing where he's fighting it in the room. I could see that being like a fully healed scene. Maybe we get an episode aftermath type of deal and we get like the quarter staff and the full heal and stuff. And then we go to the waste. When he gets all that, it could also be the scene he gets the luck too. Like they could be very explicit about it. Yeah. Which I'd be fine. And it's not that different in the timeline or or the story. Yeah. It could be the, the hanging Ashandarai waste scene is when he starts to get it, which I think timeline wise would work out too. So was it a foreshadowing that doesn't happen really in the books where they talk about the nine moons from the Sean Shen? Like, am I supposed to know as I'm reading the books that when he's saying who is the daughter of the nine moons, that it's going to be a Sean Shen person? I don't believe so. Okay. So that kind of just spoiled it for me. I would say a little bit. Yeah. Okay. It's not a huge deal to me. I just want to know if I'm like missing something when I did my first read through. And again, I'm only saying that because I didn't realize until it was explicit in the books. Maybe I was missing hints as well, mm-hmm. but that was my okay. interpretation when I was reading. I remember sure. there being hints, but subtle and not many. And I, I again okay. could be misremembering, but every time I finished a book, I'm scourging Reddit of like people who also just <laughs> finished that book and I'm looking at conversations. So I was probably absorbing more from like those things than the books. So I could be mixing it up, but I do remember hearing a name drop talking about the nine moons or the moons or whatever and connecting it to the Sean Chen, but had no idea like a step past that. Cause I just love that in the books where like anytime he's talking to like a chick, he's like, you know anything about the daughter of the nine <laughs> moons? And they're like, what? And he's like, never mind. So yeah. I heard it in the show and I was like, Oh, <laughs> is it Sean Chen? Hmm. And then I didn't know if I was missing something or if it was like kind of a spoiler. Jimmy, once you hit Matt in book three, four after that, it's just, stock through the roof dude he's just oh he's yeah. just fucking amazing um, he's the freaking anyway, man oh the yeah band yeah, of the yeah. red hand i can't wait till we get the band of the red hand yeah let me um ask this random question um i just thought of this on the spot because there's a couple characters we didn't really get to talk much about and i know we probably don't want to go too much longer but jimmy just to sum up something for you here or give us an impression of what you thought about these characters that we haven't talked about i want you to give me a bang kill marry for plot lines of these mm. three people that I'm about to say, three okay. groupings, because it, it's grouping. So, so Gwen's storyline is the first one. Elaine slash Nynaeve is the second one. And then Lan slash Moraine is the third one. So give me a bang, kill, marry of the plots, not like the characters. Ooh. According to my knowledge of the books or just like general no, thoughts? Just, or... just how you thought about it in the show and like how it hit and connected with you and like whatever ones you dislike the most because of book knowledge yeah. is fine. To, you know. This is tough. Um, The fact that you put Elaine and Nynaeve together. I understand that that's their storyline, but that's tough for me because my opinion was that they didn't do much in FOM. Um, I like the yellow Nynaeve sister that was, they meet and all that. Nynaeve was especially so, disappointing in the finale. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm just going to talk it through. I'm just yeah. going to have to, yeah, and we're yeah, going to decide this game time yep. decision here. We'll do it live, dude. <laughs> do you all mind right, if Egwene, I while you, while you talk about it too? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Egwene, she was interesting to me because... In the beginning, I was a little disappointed because I wasn't really feeling the whole to me. Like, where's it, your I, super I'm, strong friend? Like no one cares. About yeah. You. Yeah. And the jealousy thing. And I do like, though, that they showed later how strong she actually is. And I know that her whole thing is supposed to be that she's like super hardworking and super intelligent. She's going to get there no matter what. The scene where she she says, I'm going to kill you. Oh, I, dude. Oh, that was so bad. Forgive me for getting the name. What's the name of who she says it to? Of her soul dom. Rema, Rena, Rema. Rena, Rena, yeah. Rena, 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 yes. When she says that to Rena, mm, 
got me going, man. It yeah. was great. Yeah. Um, I thought it was crazy that she ruthlessly went for that kill. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. I'm going to kill Elaine and Nynaeve's storyline. So mm-hmm. I love Elaine yeah. in this season. I love Egwene and Elaine. If you would have just said Elaine in general, like Elaine being in this season, how was she? I'm marrying the shit out of her because I thought they killed it with her. I loved how they introduced her in a way where she was a little snotty because she's the daughter heir, but she's super nice and very caring and wants to help Egwene and having the scenes where she's making her own drinks. And yeah, she was all of that was a great introduction to Elaine. I just think that at the end, the two of them were underwhelming. I wanted to specifically bring Lan up to you guys because he was interesting. And we knew he's always been getting more than he has in the books, for better or for worse. And I mean, I like Lan, so it's fine to me. But I was very surprised, I guess is the word, with how they went in a certain way. And then I think they turned it around to make it fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I agree <laughs> if with that. that makes I, was, sense. I was worried. Yeah, so him going against Moraine and joining Alana and all that kind of stuff, that was tough for me to watch. I love the scene where he teaches Rand how to be a man. Oh, That had really to be cr- in there. I, I actually, like, legitimately cried. That had to be in there. <laughs> it was so um, I think that the scene, the scene where he says to Moraine, I went to Swan because I thought she was the only person that you would trust that's not me. That was the start of the turn back to being okay. And then once they get back together, it's fixed to me. I'll tell you right now, in my head, I knew, and I don't know if the boys talked about it or if you guys talked about it, when she was going to say he's better than her, I mean, that was just, to me, I don't know if that was super cliche, and I guessed it because it was super cliche, but... It was. You knew it was coming. And it's true. As we were watching it live, after she said it, Dave and Paul were just like, yeah, like, that's... Yeah, good. Yeah, I don't know what to do, man. Um, I'm gonna marry. I'm gonna marry Egwene. No, yes, God. yeah. <laughs> you just it needed up, that reaction. Yeah, I needed that wind it up to, to keep me going. <laughs> Dude, I thought um, Egwene's second half was just phenomenal, especially with where I am in the books, where she is. I'm a little bit past it, but she's with the IEO. When she's with the IEO and she's leaving the IEO, and they're like, "You have an IEO heart," and she's very stern and she puts Nynaeve in her place and she becomes the Omerlin and she's playing the game. As far as I know now, she's playing the game pretty well. We'll see. But that stuff is the Egwene I'm seeing now. And I like Mm -hmm. that. So that's fine with me. I didn't like the beginning of her season as much, but I really liked the end of her season. And of course, if you're an Egwene stand, then you're going to love the fact that she was going one-on-one with Ishi protecting Rand, whether I thought it was kind of bogus or not. They gave her the highlight. And that was my worry because the fact that they were really, really, really focusing on Nynaeve and how raw power she is and how they really focused on her last season, too. I'm like, last season, I got it because the whole who's going to be the dragon and they went that route for the TV show. And can it be Egwene? Is it going to be Nynaeve? Is it going to be Matt? Is it Perrin? Rand? Whatever. I understand how powerful Nynaeve is. I get it. But I really thought that they kind of like pushed Egwene to the side in the beginning but she was highlighted a lot at the end and it was really good. So I'm going to go with that. I thought that the land of Moraine is, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I thought they were a little boring, their scenes. It was legitimately worrying. I mean, granted, they had to fill blank space essentially because we know books two and three are not big Moraine and land books, but yeah, man, it was tough to watch her just be awful. 
to him yeah. for like the whole so, and like knowing that it's like it's like she has an ulterior motive behind it it's just like i get it it's just not the most like compelling television to watch for six episodes yeah. you know where it's mm-hmm. like oh my god okay like we're still doing this type of thing mm-hmm. so i'm just glad we're at a point where it's behind us and like now we, we've kind of had that journey so like we feel maybe stronger about the characters it just took us quite a little detour <laughs> for sure it's very romantic when they when they bonded again i liked it though i thought it was perfect yeah and that's yeah. the point i mean that's what it is like that's how yeah, you're very, supposed to feel very intimate yeah so who did you kill? You killed the Elaine Nynaeve storyline? I, I killed Elaine and Nynaeve. Yeah. If you okay, had, if you took tough. Nynaeve out of it, I would have married Nynaeve. That's a big change. a fucking heavy-ass yeah. weight so, of Nynaeve yeah. in that storyline. That's, yeah. that's fantastic I'll, that you say that because I'm on the record all the time saying how Nynaeve in the books is like my least favorite character of pretty much have ever read, read in my entire life. And I was saying all throughout the season one covers that. That's tough, dude. Oh, dude. I agree. I agree. Kind of. Not like the worst in my life. I hate her. Yeah. I don't even know who comes in mind as second. There's a gap. But the reason I say that is because I was also saying all throughout season one how I already liked show Nynaeve significantly more than book just based on her season one performance. Like I thought she was great. Her bookish, bookish ways started coming out again in season two is what i'm trying to say like how she's frustrating to the point where it's not satisfying it might be within character but it's just not a comfortable thing i don't know i just hate everything about the way she treats other people and a lot of it was coming out here but i kind of agree with what you're what you ended up ranking it as um but i do have three more concepts not to bang kill mary but just i want your opinion on them as like a book reader because we couldn't talk about them we talked about them of course but i want your like your view is going to be a lot more insightful than Dave and Paul's as Rook. So I want to hear what you you have to say about these three things. And that's pretty much all I have written down. But anyway, so the first one I want to hear is um, the arches. How did Nynaeve's arches compare to what the scene played in your mind? And like, did you like them? Were you satisfied? And did you You see the twist coming? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got got. (laughs) I did. I think I did. Um, I thought the arches were great. Uh, to be completely honest, can't remember how they match up with her actual arch scenes in the book. The one that yeah. stuck to me always was the land one. Very, very quick rundown is the first one is she meets Aganor, who's the end of book one, the two forsaken at the eye of the world. One of them's Aganor. So she sees him in the first one. They have a little bit of a fight. And then they yell at her, like, don't channel, whatever. The second one is fairly similar, where she goes to uh, Emmons Field. It's Egwene's mom, who was like, hey. Mm, okay, like, yes, we yes, We have this yes. new wisdom, and she's fucking killing people and everything. Abusive, and yeah. She, yeah, and then I she do remember to that. abandon okay, her yes. there. And then the third one is just, like, her and Lan in, like, yes. a sunflower field or something like that. Yeah. So it's not as intense, basically, as this third arch. I thought otherwise they killed it. Like, I thought that it was perfectly done in my head that's pretty much how i thought of it i think i got got with the other like she was leaving the tower and everything and then you see yes when, like, i i see took each it other. Like, up until that point it was like i can't fucking believe we're doing this like what a yeah, fucking character dude. assassination like mm-hmm. did, <laughs> season one finale was so bad and they're continuing this bullshit that's what i was thinking for sure yeah i was thinking like it isn't as much of a character assassination with her stubbornness Mm-hmm. The fact that she says I'm out, but otherwise, yeah, it was going to be totally off book. And I was like, damn. And then when it says the line now, isn't be steadfast part of it, too? Yeah, people were. Pissed I was waiting for that. In my head, I just kept going, be steadfast. And I was yeah. like, come on, just say it. 
people did not like that change. Yeah. I thought they were going to wait till the third arch to say it. The third arch saved it for me because I was even a little worried how quick the first two were. And then the third one I thought was really well done. So I was happy with how it ended up being. And then it led to some good emotional scenes and and bonding for Elaine and 90 or uh, Egwene yeah. and Elaine. And Elaine. Yeah, yeah. So that was good. Um, okay, cool. That was one. Uh, so the next two, I want to say this one, me and Kyle landed on different sides of if this was good or not. I think I got swayed by Kyle more than uh, I wanted to after we had our podcast. <laughs> we, but I'm, I'm so I'll just leave it at that. What did you think about the dragon prophecy when we get the swan and marine flashback of like, you know, the eyes right, die, right. like dying and seeing what was it? Episode seven of season one, which that was fucking cool. Just like the yeah. callback. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, you you haven't read New Spring, obviously. No, I haven't. Like the prequel book. Yeah. So, and I don't not sure how much they actually get into it in the books themselves. But essentially, I mean, this is like what happens where like Moraine and Swan are there, and like she has a foretelling. This woman at the end of the I.O. War, where like the dragons okay. born and everything. I'm not exactly remembering our conversation on the podcast, but like for me, like I thought it was like it fell fairly flat it was just kind of like oh that happened the flash scenes i thought saved it overall i just thought it was epic just like it is an epic moment in the books and it's just cool because i never got to see it because i didn't read new spring so that was like me seeing it for the first time i did like how it seemed like she was in the body of yeah i guess she's technically a maiden even if she's not aiel but yeah so yeah okay all right last one and then i'm good and then you guys can clean up whatever else you want uh, talk to me about LTT, dude. What about Luce Theron scene? Because I think, and I said this on the podcast, I'm hoping they do this. Like every finale starts with 3,000 years ago, something like that, where we just keep yeah. building and keeping the actor around and seeing more things from the from the Age of Legends. Because it's just a really cool idea and something fun to look forward to every season. And I was pleasantly surprised that we got it again here, because the the one in season one is one of my favorite scenes of the show when we see that it's basically future earth and you look outside and it's awesome. So like, tell me what you thought about that. And then also connect it to how explicit they were with the whole land fear issue and lose were like really close. Cause I got like, it seems like they're being way more explicit here than read between the lines kind of in the books, I guess is kind of how I took it. So to me, whether I'm missing something or not as a book reader, I thought this was new knowledge. Obviously, I know that Lanfear loved Luce Theron. Mm-hmm. I know that Samael and uh, Luce Theron had like a big rivalry. I don't even know that I knew that Luce Theron and Issue were close. Is that a big thing that they say in the books? I didn't really remember it that, that much either. It's a like OG prologue thing. I've won again, Luce Theron. Yes, I've won again, yeah. But yeah, otherwise, I'm glad that they're they're bringing in Luce Theron. I think it's important because I guess we're fine. We've been spoiling stuff for the books and as much as I know, so I'm just going to talk about it really quick. Like I think it's pretty sweet. I'm right at the part where Luce Theron actually responds to Rand. Yeah, so that cool. you know, that's the end of book six where they're shielded and they're both talking to each other and he responds and Rand's like, Jesus Christ, finally you're talking <laughs> to me, bro. <laughs> um yeah. if you have scenes like this where they're talking to each other and Luce Theron becomes a character like that, I think it's very important that you give him the as the actor a scene scenes in the show so that the casual viewer can be closer to him. Yeah. We need mm-hmm. his voice. We need to keep hearing yes. his voice. Yes. I think it was great. I thought it was perfectly done. I loved it. Yeah. Cool. All right. That's all I got. What do you guys, anything else you want to bring up before we get out of here? 
I'm curious of your take on Varen. Varen and Alana. Yeah, different. Yes, they're very different. Yeah, you you like Alana? No. <laughs> No, I actually don't. I know, I'm kidding. <laughs> we all hate Alana, dude. Uh, especially me now, where I'm at in the book. So Okay, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's that's a fair, fair thing for you to say, because for the average person, yeah. it's not really that fair, like, to just assume. No, no, no. Yeah, casual viewer would have no idea that that's coming, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Paul and Dave Talda love Varen. Mm-hmm. Which I, think I guess if you're not a book reader you're and you're watching it as someone who's clean slate, you can see Varen as someone who helped Moraine and had a, that badass scene where she yeah, worked around team, the oaths and saved yeah, Rand. She's team squad. She's team squad mm-hmm. yeah. too. And she has, I thought it was good when they did the, the scene in episode two on the cliffside when she's like, okay, so one of them's the Dragon Reborn. <laughs> yeah. And like it, it yeah. had that somewhat similar feeling to the Great Hunt when she's just there in the room and says it. And Moraine yeah. and Swan like immediately grab the power, and then they're like, "Oh well, I guess now she knows." <laughs> yeah, well, now yeah. she knows. <laughs> yeah, so, Luke, you you didn't like anything about Alana, even if you have pretend you have no knowledge, you just didn't like her this season. You're saying so. I actually liked her a lot in season one, and I thought I didn't like what I got from season two. Like, it was a funny moment when she was like all like confusing Egwene's questions about it being yeah. sexual but i was more like give me some good i Sedai advice from someone that i thought was like a great battle aja um i Sedai that that has been there like for the low gain event like all this stuff i don't know i just didn't get the right vibe from her and it could be a fault of my expectations and it combined with the future rave and stuff, but like, yeah, yeah exactly so and i'm also i've been a diehard varen fan since the beginning in the books so like this was another elias moment where i didn't care if i was spoiling it for dave and paul that i love this character because i was just doing it i was like this is a for me moment so i just fucking love varen yeah no i i agree with you i enjoyed varen i I really thought that that scene was badass especially when moraine i forget how she says it but she basically says like nice way with your words yeah money like i thought that was great Mm -hmm. and then i guess what about pat and fane i feel like they nerfed his ass too Mm -hmm. i I wasn't in it enough it, I just Which, don't I like mean, how they ended the season with him, too, where he kind of like ran away like little biatch. Yeah. That feels yeah. like him, though. He's a cockroach. I, I guess. I mean, I like the whistling. I liked the scene with Matt yeah. when he he's a, in he the room with him with the dagger. Three. Yeah, I hope so. Cool. So overall success, you like the season? Oh, yeah. I definitely enjoyed the season a lot. What's your episode eight rating? I'm just curious. Like fresh off of it out of 10. Like, Be honest. Six? Yeah, that's fair. I think that the season in general, pretend eight, it doesn't exist. I would say the season is like a 7.5 or eight. I would say the finale eight. doesn't exist. Yeah, I would say it's like eight, eight and a half. I would say sure. eight, eight. And a, yeah, yeah, that's true. Eight, eight and a half. But yeah, with, with the season finale in there, I'm going to end it with the seven ish. Probably the, Jimmy, the, the running gag on the podcast was basically anytime, anytime something like crazy, good happened, entertaining, something good for Dave's like characters happened. He would always just go S tier, like saying that this is an S tier show. <laughs> and then like, there was like one moment early on where it was like, it was like a bad early episode or something. And he was like dropping it down to a, and then like episode four happened. He's like S tier baby S tier. <laughs> and I love to hear that from a did he? What did they say about the finale? Like did they, oh, they loved it. Yeah. They so loved, they thought they the finale it. was S tier. They Dave liked it a lot. Paul had a lot of criticisms on like like similar to what I was saying of like like film 
making it's not really like we're like, like cinematography all that kind of stuff yeah it's like where are these random sean chen guys coming from just like like inconsistencies of things that felt right. like you notice it and it takes you out of the moment type of thing rules of the yeah. shield yeah just paul, stuff yeah, like yeah. that paul was just curious that it felt like they were breaking a lot of rules and and to make things more convenient and that was like frustrating for him but i think overall content wise he still thought it was good oh you didn't yeah. even fucking comment on uh Citric, Masima. My freaking boy. And they gave him the scene where he's like looking up in awe yeah. of the dragon. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yo, yeah. we should have great bringing that up because that's yeah. that's amazing. Honestly, that was one of the coolest little moments that nobody in the world would know about. Yeah. 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 Gonna get, oh, gosh, I love Citric. Well, oh, and when he did, when he um, took his shirt off and had that fight scene in like episode four, dude, oh, yeah. he was a badass, bro. I fucking love Masima. Yep. What are your thoughts on non dark friend Ingtar? That one stunk for me. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's disappointing. I already kind of said it and we kind of brushed by it, but I thought Uno being here, the horn was not good to me. Yeah, pure fan service. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I didn't need comedy either. I thought it's hilarious that he says, like, feck, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I don't need comedy in the, that scene. The Ingtor thing hurt me personally because they gave us the conversation in episode one between him and Perrin about, like, hey, maybe if you sat down with Pat and Fane and talked to him about like yes, why he does yes, things yes. Like you would maybe understand why he was a dark friend type of thing which felt like they're completely obviously setting up Ingtar for the end and it just never came and it was like they delete you know, they they cut the scene they had a scene filmed to reveal joke. it but they cut it damn and what i will say i want to give them props the uno kill i knew it yeah. happened because drunk dave told me it's all that was so oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah i, I gave him two chances itself? not to not to spoil yeah. it for you and the third time he just barreled right through me and <laughs> said it and i was like whatever dude <laughs> but the kill itself insane dude, let me give that thumbs up like yeah. come on because when i'm watching wheel of time and i do still think they don't get fully as grotesque and gory i guess as like thrones would no. There's things that they show oh, randomly where I'm like, fantastical. oh, yeah. Like when they showed that, I thought it was out of character. And I'm not saying that's bad because I was like, oh, shit, that's awesome. But I thought it was out of character because you could tell a lot of times, like even with some of the sword fights, there's certain times where they're, yes, they're going to show some stuff. But other times there's just slashing and people are just dying where it's like it's almost like it's PG-13 or something where they can't yeah. show up. Cool. I don't think I have anything else. I feel like I got it. No, that was. That was really fun. I'm happy we I got to we pull everything out. out of you. Yeah, that we could have pulled yeah. out. I can't wait to talk. I mean, whenever it happens, season three preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a good band kill Mary because I, I specifically wanted to talk about land because that definitely through my binge. I'm lucky enough to have the binge where I could get to the next episodes quick yeah. where mm-hmm. I wasn't worried for too long. But I was like, whoa, this is not yeah. land. It was like a month of like. When is it going to turn? When is it going to turn? Yeah. Yeah. So Lan didn't catch really any MVPs in season two. And Moraine caught a lot of LVPs, which is not something I'd like to yeah. hear as just like I'm a huge fan of both in the books. And I still think um, Moraine, like as a performance, she did what she could. And I think she was still great. And I'm happy that she's going to be like still such a main part. They just had to give her something. And unfortunately, it kind of yeah. sucked for our characters. Definitely. I mean, I think that it was good that. The way that this season went, it kind of gave the casual fans the warning that she's not the main character because Mm -hmm. we know how season one went. It was made to seem like it's Maureen's the main character. Yeah. That's not how this season went. And also interesting to see how her story goes and what the (laughs) the end is going to be. 
like yeah yeah we'll and see. i again i don't have the end to I mean, me to me end. i want lamphere to be back to life <laughs> <laughs> yeah natasha o'keefe i want to give you my props again you're the best lamphere was right. awesome oh wait so wait let's ask him what we signed off on our podcast with just the show characters who are your top three favorite show characters we had we extended from the season four. Oh, we did extend that again, Kyle? The, Whoever went first it was like, yeah, I want a fourth and did a fourth. Yeah. And we all did a fourth. <laughs> so just your top four show characters. In general or season two characters? Through the two seasons, like who oh, as two, a yeah, show watcher, two. like who are your favorite characters? Okay, Lanfear is number one. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that Ishii was fleshed out awesome. So I'm going to give him one. Are we ranking them or just like naming four? Whatever you got. Uh, I'm just naming four. Uh, I'm not, I'm not four getting if it's easier for you. Um, okay, so let's go with Lanfear, Ishi, Elaine, because she did it for me this season hey. with her introduction. <laughs> let's go! Let's go. Um, <laughs> Masima, because he's good looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> your let's four? see, who else am I going to go here? Um, Come no, Rand? Rand, I feel like if I say Rand would be more biased. I don't know. Okay, I still, I guess... Bro. No, I, I guess I still got to say Rand. I will say that I definitely really liked how they showed the power being wielded in the season. And we saw it last season, too, like with the scenes with Loghain and stuff. But yeah, because you got to see it more from Rand this season, just it's just beautifully done. Like I just love watching it. Something that's totally off topic that I want to say is I liked that they added the mouthpiece to the Damani because they did really good with the Sean Chen this season. Like we oh, didn't really talk too great. much about that. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that the way the the brutality and how bad the Sean Chen are supposed to look, like I thought that they did great and adding yep. the mouthpiece made it even worse. Like it made you hate them even more. Yeah. And like I said, the, the I will kill you line. That's why I'm marrying Egwene for the bang kill marry. Come on. We were fair. the rooks were calling them like binkies. Like they were the binkies yeah, for the girls. Kind of looked so like it. <laughs> we ended up settling, or I, I, at some point, we ended up calling them until we got more Pacifiers. names. Like the the uh, what did what did I say? The binky benders or, or the, nah, the, 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 the the baby, baby benders, benders? The baby benders. Yeah, the baby benders. Because they were like yeah. freaking. Yeah, <laughs> Paul did nail the connection between um the Soldam and the Damani too. Like really? How they, yeah, he was yeah. like, do they can they like good you know channel him. a little bit? And it was a good theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good for him. They had, they had some good ones. They had some good ones. All, All right, right take let's us wrap down. this thing up. Yeah, I, not really much else to say. Fantastic discussion. I feel like it's nice when we get to have these unstructured, just end of season conversations we talk about doing this all the time it's like oh we'll get all of us on to talk about the whole season yeah it literally never happens because we move on to a new show so luke i'm glad you were were really adamant about us having this conversation i'm sure if you stayed or rather i hope if you stayed this long and listened to all of it you got some enjoyment out of it as well and if we were again too negative for you apologize hope that you enjoyed or rather happy that you enjoyed the show maybe more than we did we still enjoy it we'll be back season three covering the hell out of it because we love talking wheel of time we love talking wheel of time tv show too especially with our non-book reader friends paul and dave and if this is your first time hearing us talk about the show at all definitely like jimmy's gonna do go back and listen to our coverage of the episodes and if you like what you heard and want more than just wheel of time content jimmy brought it up multiple times in this episode because he's a master marketer all the house of usher flanagan shows we cover all of those gen v currently covering gen v 
as that uh, it's about to wind down. I think what episode seven comes out this week, episode eight next week. Who knows when this episode itself will drop? But I'm sure that'll be finishing up coverage. And then what else we got going on after that? We got the murder well. at the end of the world by Britt Marling and Invincible and Beacon Twenty Three. Looks like me and Kyle might be covering that. That's a Hugh hey, Howie hey, hey, book hey. adaptation. So we'll see mm-hmm. how that goes. It's going to jump right out from our hype on the silo feed. We had a yeah. lot of fun covering Silo, so now another Hugh Howie show is coming out. So I, I'm really excited. It's got Lena Headey, yeah. Cersei Lannister. Let's go mm-hmm. as one yeah, of the so, main characters. So basically, Benchtown, we do a lot. We cover a lot of TV shows. So if you liked our real time coverage, you'll probably like our coverage of something else. So stick with us. Graduate from uh, being a real time fan to being a Benchtown TV fan. You will not regret it. And that's all I got. Once again, we are Benchtown TV, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.